welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, this week's Movies and Entertainment Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Tracy. And I'm Corwin Heller. And uh, today we're going to be talking about some more movies. We're going to be talking about uh, fucking goddammit Black Dynamite. <laughs> I forgot what movie it was. For like a hot second. And, yes, 2009's uh, Black Dynamite. And we will be talking about uh, 2019's Rocket Man, Corwin Heller. Are you ready to get funky? Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with Black Dynamite or Rocket Man? Two very similar films. So I watched Rocket Man today and have almost no notes for it. I have a shit ton of notes for Black Dynamite, which are just essentially all the jokes I really like written down. I so oh my God, we do are such, with that information what you will. We are such similar people, my friend. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's start with Rocket Man first, then, since we'll probably fanboy out about it a little bit less. Um, uh, a little bit less. Oh, <laughs> uh, right, you, under, you underestimate how much I'm going to fanboy over Black Dynamite. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, all right, so let's let's get started here. With um, hold on. All right, so let's get started with uh with with Rocket Man. So it's come come out in 2019, directed by Dexter Fletcher, which is the whitest name in the world. Uh, written by Lee Hall, starring Taron Edgerton. I never get that name right. Jamie Bell and Richard Madden. Uh, it is a musical fantasy about the fantastical human story of Elton John's breakthrough years. Um, it. Had an estimated budget of Corwin. Do you want to guess? Uh, I I honestly still don't remember how much movies cost to make. I'll just stick with a hundred million dollars. No, that's too much. I'll say fifty million dollars. Oh, your uh, redaction or your correction that of yourself? Uh, no, no, got you significantly closer. Oh, it was forty God. million dollars. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I feel like um, when it's that high. It's just all the same to me, you know, like I don't have the frame of reference for what $40 million versus $100 million buys. So, I, you know, I, I don't see this enough to be able to judge. Yeah, it's tough because like they do use special effects to a certain degree. Um, it's actually one of my complaints and my opposite of complaints. Um, we'll get to that though, but it's tough to tell because with the ever increasing, uh, affordability of technology, who knows how far that really takes you. Uh, anyway, $40 million budget, a cumulative worldwide gross of just under 200 million. So a rousing success. Uh, and it has one Oscar win for best achievement in music written for motion pictures, um, for the song, I'm gonna love me again, written by Elton John and Bernie Taupin. Shocking to nobody. Um, so, Corwin, what did you think of this musical extravaganza? Uh, this was actually the second time I've seen it. Like I said last week, it's the first time we have a movie that I've seen previously and you hadn't. Um, I definitely enjoyed it a lot more the first time um, because I, I d didn't know the Elton John story. I didn't know where the story was headed. I didn't know, you know what the ending would be. 
The only thing I did know is that Elton John is still alive and there has to be a silver lining ending in there somewhere, um, which there was. Um, I honestly did not enjoy it, enjoy it nearly as much the second time through um, just because the story behind it just absolutely did not hold my attention and stand up to a second viewing. Um, some of the characters definitely were without having that hope that the characters would kind of reform and change. Um, it, it, I just, there was no like me sitting there hoping that, you know, Oh, maybe I'll like these guys in the end. And it was just me disliking almost all of the characters that were not named Elton John or Bernie throughout the movie. Um, and it was just a, a tougher, tougher time to get through it. Uh, music was still very good. Absolutely. The highlight Taron Egerton is the shining star of this movie. And if he was not in it, this would be a, a very bad movie in my eyes. Um, he, he made everything for this and you know, the first 20 minutes of the movie before he's in it. And it's just his childhood. Um, very boring, and as soon as he gets in, just the the quality of just the acting, the quality of the movie experience shot up. So. Uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly um, on that last point. My God, Taron Egerton did a phenomenal job, and I'm now copying your pronunciation of that last name because I refuse to keep trying. Um, I I'm going to compare <laughs> this. Movie. I don't know if I've ever actually heard it said aloud and that's what just i assume you pronounce it as so the first time i saw his name i thought it was a joke <laughs> i thought it was like a spoof of like random miscellaneous white man actor um and like someone was making fun of timothy chalamet because that name is also kind of ludicrous um and then it was actual name uh yeah Anyway, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna compare this this movie to a, a couple other movies, and I'm gonna start by comparing it to Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, just because of the, the the a lot of the juxtapositions that it has with that film, um, both about music stars that got their start in the '70s, both gay, both fighting with that, both fighting with drugs. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody deals not well, but a little bit with the AIDS crisis, whereas. Um, and that was not, I guess, as big a part of Elton John's life as he never contracted it or didn't um, at least have any open relationships with anyone who was in uh, or ha- was afflicted with it, uh, AIDS at the time. Um, and my God, if Rami Malek can not only be nominated for an Oscar for Bohemian Rhapsody and yet, but somehow win one, I am, I am confounded as to how Taron Egerton or Egerton, whatever didn't get at least nominated for an Oscar for this because you were right. Like this movie is built on the shoulders of his charisma. And I mean, his sheer charisma. I mean, he sang all those songs. Like he fucking wrote them. I mean, it was, it was beautiful and it was entirely his own singing and he was flawless. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was amazed, you know, the first time I, I read about this and, you know, learned that Taron is the guy singing all these songs himself. It's not dubbed over in any way. Um, really adds to the viewing or adds to the uh, immersion, I want to say. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, compared to the, 
absolute unwatchable trash pile that is Bohemian Rhapsody. This is fucking saving. This is Citizen Kane. You know? <laughs> uh, it really is. Just um, non sequitur. Well, that's not really non sequitur, but just tangent about Bohemian Rhapsody. I would consider that unwatchable. I I, re- I refuse to rewatch it. How that one boast both best actor and best editing, especially, is mind boggling. Dude, the, the whole movie feels like propaganda in the worst way. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and we're both pretty decently sized Queen fans, and that was just, oh. Um, yeah. But leaving that to the side, um, I will say so in regards to Rocket Man. I, I now want to make my second set of comparisons, and I want to compare it to um, the Ray Charles biopic Ray and the Johnny Cash biopic Walk the Line. And I mean, those, I think, in my eyes, are two of the greatest musician biopics of all time. You know, they're both uh, Oscar winning. Uh, Ray was uh, an Oscar winner for uh, Jamie Foxx. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix was nominated, though he did not win for uh, Walk the Line, although I'm pretty sure Reese Witherspoon did win. doesn't matter. And I kept trying to think... I I know these are obviously dramatically different films because, you know, Ray deals with... um, Ray Charles' affliction with heroin and his having to deal with racism. And Walk the Line deals with Johnny Cash's uh, miserable father and crippling drug addiction and those obviously alter the tone of the film dramatically but it also lends itself to a lot of the authenticity and the thing about this movie is i wish we got more a sense of the lows and it shows it to a certain extent but i don't think it contrasts well enough against the fanfare of his of his performances because i don't think the lows are low enough uh, you you see him taking a substance harder than alcohol like two or three times in the film, mm-hmm. and you get a sense of how much he has sex. Really, just in the one um, uh, Benny and the Jets, I think uh, song yeah. number where it's it's like the uh, kind of like an orgy themed music video. And outside of that, like you get, he's struggling with like his sexuality, and you know he gets married there, but. I, I know you. it's tough, especially when the man about whom life is being shown is an executive producer of the movie, uh, to really get to the nitty-gritty and really do a warts-and-all kind of production. But I really think, as much as I actually did like this quite a bit, but as much as I liked it, um, I think it would have benefited to see just how bad it got for Elton John, because... I think it glosses over that uh, to a decent extent. Yeah, I felt like it focused significantly more on the problems he had with the people around him, with his family, with his associates, with you know his personal relationships, rather than the substance abuse and things of that nature, which... I don't know the rating for Rocketman. I don't know if you have that in front of you, but I could definitely see that being a, a conscious choice by the studio just to make this a more, bro- like a broadly accepted, broadly um, 
you know, just a lower rating and have more people be able to see the movie. It is it is rated R. Apparently, Elton John well, wanted it rated R um, because he told the studio did want it to be PG-13. But Elton mm-hmm. John wanted it to be rated R because he said, quote, he had not led a PG-13 life. Um, which is very true. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, then I don't know. Again, I could easily see that just being something that's difficult to portray, especially when, you know, the tone of this movie, if it was something like Requiem for a Dream, I feel like the both the opinions of Elton John and the movie would be significantly different. Um, but I... Well, it, yeah, it, it, I, I, I do agree that they should have done more to show the dark side of those addictions. Um, but uh, I can't, I can't short them too much for that choice. It it's tough because you know to compare this film to Ray, you know mm-hmm. Ray's a dark movie for like almost the entirety of it, and that's on purpose. You know, Ray Charles led a tough fucking life you know he was blinded at a young age he was black in the south uh he was constantly getting ripped off he got addicted to heroin i mean like there's a lot that went wrong in ray charles's life and that very much so is the story of who he is in addition to his phenomenal music and elton john had that too but it's also tough because he experienced phenomenal wealth almost immediately um is a white guy uh and his addiction was brought more so on because of the lavish party scene lifestyle that he led. And I'm not saying that that's like any less valid of a, of a, a hardship to go through, but it's, it's different and it's a tougher sell when you're trying to paint again, this like very colorful picture that is Elton John's music, you know, that is his performances. That's his outfits. That's his glasses. Um, so I'm not saying it would have been easy to do because it certainly would not have been, but I think I would have appreciated a better scope for how much that changed him. Um, but anyway, uh, I I want to issue another complaint here. Uh, the chron the chronology of this movie is fucking weird. Uh, how familiar are you with Elton John's discography prior to this film? Uh, not very. So Elton John's one of like my favorite musicians. So I I'm 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 not like like the world over known knowing his 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 music because also for anyone who doesn't know through for like 15 years straight Elton John released no fewer than two albums a year. Oh. One year he one year he released four albums in a year. Like what? that is so much music. That's what I'm saying. Like Elton John made music, man. Like it was insane. Something that is uh, not really touched on in the film at all, um, which is fine. I mean, it's tough to just be like, and then we had another album come out. Um, But what's weird about it is the order in which they make the songs appear in the film makes like zero sense. You know, they have Elton John playing, um, I think it was Crockett, no, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, like really early in the movie. And like he, like Bernie Taupin wrote the lyrics to that song, but they had him singing it like a, a while before Bernie entered the film. You know, they had him, yeah. they had him playing it as a child. It was super weird. 
yeah, they do I that with a lot of songs. I definitely felt like a lot of the music they had was just, we want to play a lot of Elton John song, John songs, so we're just going to do that and just throw them around wherever. So but, that, that And that's one of the things I'm kind of getting at is like this felt like it didn't, because because of that, it felt to me like it, I couldn't tell if they were trying to make a biopic that was that was a musical because of who the person Elton John was, or if they were trying to make a musical about Elton John in which the song order doesn't need to match up to the year. Because in some instances, it was like dramatically off, like ten years off. Um, I I'm trying to remember which which songs I'm uh in particular did this to me i think don't go breaking my heart was like comically too too early on um goodbye yellow brick road i think was super off in the year like seriously i turned to my girlfriend and made comments at like it must have been like 75 percent of the songs that came up throughout the film because they were all just not anywhere near the year they were released but they fit what was happening in the film like a normal musical would do, but it's not a normal musical. It's the story of a life, you know? So like it made it kind of awkward as a guy who like knows a little bit about Elton John's discography to be like, well, now that's just not right. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah, it was I, weird. I, I barely know anything about his music other than, you know, the handful of hits that, are household names um and while the actual order in which they sang didn't seem terribly out of place it definitely felt like they were shoehorned in just to increase the amount of songs they could have them play um and uh, i mean i'll be the first to admit i am not a musical guy uh this is probably the first musical comedy musical drama that i've seen that i've can honestly say i enjoyed um but there were a handful of songs that just didn't do it for me and just the way they were done and the where they were done in the movie just mm. can i tell you what i definitely think and i i think you might agree with me on this but can i tell you what i think the most bizarre song was in the movie uh sure pinball wizard yeah. I was not expecting yeah. that. I was so confused. Why the hell they were playing pinball with he was singing pinball wizard to the point where I like looked it up to make sure that like Elton John and Bernie Taupin didn't low key write it and they did mm -hmm. not. It was definitely written by Pete Townsend of The Who. And wow was it weird to see that in the movie, only because they did zero other non Elton John songs. Mm -hmm. That uh, was fucking weird. Which song was your favorite? Oh, that's a great question. Um, mine, mine is easily, hands down, by a country mile, I'm still standing, recreating the 80s music video at the end. That was super fun. That's my favorite Elton John song to begin with, but recreating that music video, oh my God, that was amazing. That is the highlight of my movie. If they just released that, this would have been a five out of five. That was that was really really well done. I don't know. I, the, the, I I'm a fucking sucker for Elton John song. Like I sat on my couch with my girlfriend and annoyed the shit out of her by singing every 
single word to all of the songs in the movie because I love Elton John. Um, I'm trying to think of what my favorite would have been. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I definitely enjoyed how much uh, how much mustard got put into Benny and the Jets. Uh, he was really jamming out to that. Um, but I don't know. I I I'm such a fucking sucker for this shit, man. Like Elton Elton's one of my guys. Um, so yeah. what did what did you do? I I <laughs> love him all day every day. One one, one of one of the dudes. Me and Elton chilling out, hanging back. Uh, anyway, to to harshly pivot, um, what did you think about the usage of visual effects in the in in the movie? To what extent? So you know, let me let me, let me phrase it better. Um, it wasn't like you get a weird CGI moment in every scene, but there would be a lot of I think interestingly employed. Uh, like cinematically engaging special effects used every now and then, like Elton John um, and the entire crowd and band uh, lifting off of their feet during his first performance at the Troubadour or um, Elton John's performance at Dodger stadium, where he then turned into a rocket while singing rocket man and shot up into the sky and exploded into um, uh, a, uh, what do you call that shit? Firework. what do you think about that? I honestly enjoyed it. Uh, I feel like if it was any other movie with any other centerpiece character, I would have been like, all right, that's a little out of place. But it being Elton John of all people, uh, I felt like it fit the tone of the movie well. I felt like it fit the tone of Elton John well. Um, and, you know, lifting up, I think just both matching the the famous picture of him performing at the Troubadour in 70 and uh you know the rocket at Dodger Stadium which was probably the significantly more out there um effect it I didn't mind it I I thought it fit it well and worked out yeah I liked it quite a bit I liked that they were used in a more interesting conven- uh unconventional way because, again, just to compare this to Bohemian Rhapsody, um, all of their special effects were used to either uh, create a different st- type of shot or just used as, like, a, like kind of psychedelia in the background. And I thought that this actually added a lot to the film in terms of artistry. Um, I definitely think there are certain points where the special effects didn't look the best in terms of production. Um, but I definitely liked the way that they were um, just kind of employed here and there throughout the movie to add um, add something to it, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, so, do you have any other notes on this? That you I have. Like to I, I, I yeah, I have one final one. Um, what do you think? So when when. Elton John stumbles into the group therapy session wearing that, uh, I guess, devil outfit. Um, uh, yeah, we'll go with that. I would have thought that would have been a bigger part of the film, but I think they only cut back to that group session twice after the initial one. So they guess three times total. They do a few other group sessions because, of course, Elton John eventually ends up in, in uh, um, a rehab center. But I would have expected 
because usually when you when you like when you see films that engage in that type of um narrative device you you get more interjection from that kind of narrator character breaking down what emotions were being felt in what scenes or how you know how that ties into the greater being that is elton john or whatever um but they really they came back to it so infrequently that i think the second time that he ends up that they or the, the first time they go back to him in groups so or the second time he's in group i'd actually forgotten that that was part of the movie earlier right what do uh, you think i definitely noticed it less the second time around uh and didn't really think about it just because i was aware of how it was used and all that and it was kind of something i forgot about but knew enough about the usage to not really worry about it not really think about it too much i don't know i mean i don't think it took away from anything i don't think it was the most effective use of that that i've seen or you know the way they could have done it at the end of the day i'm fine with it you know it it worked and that at the very least is an acceptable reason for having it. I'm not going to get caught up on it. It basically is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I'm definitely not hung up on it. I, I, I actually, I wish it either wasn't there or was there more because I liked the, I, I love those types of scenes. Like it's one of like those cutbacks to uh, an actual narrator where they, where they contribute something narratively to the story um i will eat that shit fucking up um especially with the loud character that is elton john um especially in terms of dress being the one doing it um Mm -hmm. we got so little of it that i i think the movie survives without it um and i wish that if like i said or or it could have just had more to even add to it because i don't think those things ever take away but uh that's the only other note I have that's really worth talking about. Um, do you have anything else? I just have one thing. Uh, just commenting on how much I enjoyed the chemistry between Taron Egerton and Jamie Bell um, in the movie, uh, and just how well it fits the chemistry that Bernie Taupin had with Elton John. Um, yeah, they were great together. That was, you know, the highlight is obviously Taron, but those two together in every scene felt like two guys that were very good friends, very close. And, uh, you could feel it through screen. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I think if anything, the acting in this film was top notch the whole way through. I it thoroughly enjoyed, um, seeing their relationship on screen. It was exactly what I was hoping it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Give me a, give me a, a rating there. Good buddy. This is, uh, actually, a full point lower than I had it, or I would have had it the first time I watched it. Um, but it just the story didn't captivate me, didn't hold me the way it did the first time. Um, it really just comes down to Egerton's performance uh, and singing that really just holds this together. I'm going to give it a three. Yeah, I'm 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 waffling on where to put it because I so thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but I also so one of the reasons I so thoroughly enjoyed it is I, I am just such a big fucking fan of Elton John. Like, yeah, I think I have 15 Elton John albums. Like, I love Elton John. Um, That's like a quarter of his discog- discography. 
Yeah, again, if you are unfamiliar with Elton John's discography, like, go look at how comically large it is. It is... I'm assuming that you've now looked at it. I did. You probably could have heard me in the audio, uh, like, right as we were talking about that, say, like, what the fuck, or something like that. Just, it's insane, it's right? so much. Yeah. No, it's a stupid amount of music. Like, holy shit. Um, it's almost... I almost really wish that they had made some type of mention to the sheer quantity of music that was being put out in the film, only because it is genuinely impressive um but anyway uh i i do i do have like you know small issues here and there that maybe add up to or maybe i'm comparing it to some of the other biopics that i brought up like like walk the line and ray which is the maybe unfair but it is in some ways the standard that i hold to uh musical or music-based biopics but if you're like me and enjoy the 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 large yes of a guy like Elton John. Uh, I'm gonna, oh man, I'm gonna give it only like a half. I'm gonna give it a three point five, and I even then, it, I think it's because I just fucking love Elton John. But that's, that's the fair. highest I think I'll go. That's fair. All right, uh, shall we pivot on over to Black Dynamite? Dynamite, Dynamite. Oh, oh God, such a great fucking movie. Let's get into it. Black Dynamite came out in 2009, directed by Scott Sanders, written by Michael Jai White, starring Michael Jai White, Arsenio Hall, and Tommy Davidson. Definitely not in that order. That does not sound right. <laughs> anyway, um, it had... An, I'm going to be honest. Was, I did not know Arsenio Hall was even in this. Yes. Do you know who he was? I feel like he was one of the pimps. He was. He was the pimp that was leading the pimp meeting. Oh, okay. Yes, okay. Hall. Um, it had an estimated budget of. Do you want to guess? Sixty dollars. Want to try again? Uh, seventy-five. I don't know. Dollars? Yeah. Uh, I'll 2. say two point nine million. Two point nine. Okay, I definitely would have guessed higher than that. Cumulative worldwide gross. Just under three hundred thousand. No, really. This was a flop. Yeah, yeah. It's an uh, indie film, man. That shit happens. I definitely um, could see people watching this and being like, "What the fuck is this? Well, what is this movie?" And just not the, getting it. Part of the problem is it's such a well. This is one of the most meticulously made films, comedy films, I've ever seen. And we'll get into it as we go on, but I, I could definitely see that happening because it's made to look like the 70s and they do such a phenomenal job. You're almost just basically watching a fucking black exploitation movie from the 70s. It's crazy. Yeah. Like it, there's almost nothing in this that gives it away that this was made in 2009. 2009. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, Corwin, what are your thoughts on Black Dynamite? I think this is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Every time I watch it, I find just more and more little fucking jokes that kill me. Um, I just I kept catching myself like pausing the movie to write this stuff down, and it was like every thirty seconds I'd be pausing the movie, like, "Oh God, I got this joke, got to bring up that joke," and like it was kind of like ruining the jokes for me. So like I ended up watching through it and then going back and going back to write down all the jokes. Um. But it's it's nonstop. One of the most quotable movies that we've ever watched. 
Uh, Josh is the one that's introduced me to this uh, a couple years ago. Uh, and it's just been like this. It, I think of it as a cult classic just because I feel like a cult member with how much I love, praise, and want to share this movie with other people. Oh, this is definitely a cult classic. And it's such a great movie to show your friends because even if like you don't get oh, even 50% of the jokes as the movie goes by, it's still so good. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a little bit of background on the film, it is made in 2009, but it's made to look like a black exploitation movie. And if you've never heard that phrase before, it was a common, it was a type of film that was made mainly in the 70s, um, which were like really low budget, not particularly well made on a production level films that centered around black characters with black actors and uh, notably black storylines that were targeted at making money off of black audiences. So the idea being that um, black people in the U S were a good uh, like spending block, like they would spend their money just the same as white people would, but they, they could benefit from having really cheaply made films that could end up cleaning up at local theaters in black neighborhoods because black people will turn out for them. That's why they're called black exploitation movies. Um, and kind of how that ended up being uh, a part of the industry. It's also considered just as a side note, well, like the early, I guess like grandfather to the indie film industry, which ended up actually getting kind of birthed out of black exploitation films. Um, just to, give a little bit of solidarity to, to that whole guy. Cause I really, really doubt we'd have the indie film industry as we know it today without black exploitation films. Um, they were controversial in a lot of points because they would show um, like a lot of not great characters, a lot of stereotypes, a lot of drug stuff, um, all things that we see in this movie, but played for laughs. Um, but anyway, a very interesting and important part of cinema history i'm sure we know a lot of these movies at least by name shaft is a really uh well-known one superfly foxy brown dolomite coffee uh some of them have amazing names like sweet backs sweet sweet backs badass song um some amazing just amazing movies here but Anyway, I digress. So the film is made to look like that. It's made to look cheap, but that's the joke. And it's done so fucking well. Like there's a shot where Black Dynamite's sitting down and then he gets up and the boom is in the shot and it hits him in the afro (laughs) while he's giving a speech and he like looks up at it and then while he's still talking and then just keeps talking. And just that moment, it's so perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, there's so many little things like that just sprinkled around the movie. And oh, it's unreal. So we haven't even gotten to the plot yet. No. <laughs> um, and the plot of this movie is it's the least important thing about this movie. Oh, and it's ludicrous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So I'm all right, I'm gonna give it as best as I can. Um Black Dynamite is God, what's his job? Um I actually don't even know what his dude. job is in the movie. Do you know? He's just a dude. Yeah, he's, he's just, just he's just black dynamite. He's um, a former CIA agent. That that is true. He's the best CIA, CIA agent. agent. The CIA of the half. Uh, 
he his brother gets killed by a drug lord for being a snitch um and black dynamite goes to investigate his death taking down a drug rink which was affecting um the children of the area and then finds out that the drug kingpin was working for the F- the CIA who was working for uh fiendish Dr. Wu who was working for Richard Nixon um all in an effort to make black men's dicks smaller because he was insecure about the size of his penis and that's the plot of the movie yes it is <laughs> <laughs> and as corwin said it does not matter oh man like uh, we'll get to the score at the end but like it's the only thing i could not movie for and even then i felt almost guilty doing it because of how little i care about what the story actually is oh yeah no it's it's if you're following the plot like there all right so there's a scene that i think sums up how you're supposed to feel about the plot and it's the scene where in, when they're in the the diner mm-hmm. when they're like doing the whole six degrees of separation on getting to the answer of of what the government's trying to do you know it's they're talking about Greek gods and Roman gods and the area code of Topeka, Kansas and 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 famous soul singers and it, it's nonsense. Rick James. <laughs> Not who that is, but rest in peace to Rick James. Um, it's Little uh, Richard. As soon as I started opening my mouth to like say uh, Little Richard's name, I completely blanked and I was watching Chappelle last night. So I was like, ah, Rick James. You're the same singer. You know what's funny is I think Little Richard like just died. Yeah, like, it was I think like, like two weeks ago. Yeah, I think it was super recent, which is crazy because he made music for like an eternity. That's yeah, nineteen thirty-two movie. Um. Anyway, oh, is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you, buddy. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, clearly I didn't either. Um. Anyway, this, it, it, I part of it's again like a spoof of like the whole black exploitation thing. A lot of the movies would have nonsense plots because again, it wasn't about the actual production of a lot of these films. A lot of it was just about making a buck. Um. But God damn it! I mean, there's one character who all he, all of his lines rhyme. For the whole movie, except one time, and he just sits down in shame while everyone looks at him. Oh, and like the look everyone else gives him when he like is trying and fucks it up is just like pure disgust and just like, get your fucking shit together, man. God damn. And one of the things I love about it that you you don't get an appreciation for until at least the second time you watch it. So the character's name is Bullhorn, which Mm. is, God, such a great name for a character. Um... And so, like I said, everything he says rhymes, but you don't know that when you first meet him. Like it takes a while. But the first, the first line Bullhorn says in the in the film to Black Dynamite is um, something. Oh my God, what was it? It was uh, who dares knock when I'm about to plant my, and then gets cut off when he was about to say cock because he was about to go fuck a bitch, yeah. um, as they would say, and. I love the fact that you don't know that's the joke yet. <laughs> like, obviously you can put two and two together, but the fact that like 
it has not been established that this is who Bullhorn is yet, and they're already they're already leaning into the joke. I love it. Oh man! Uh, and like one of my other dialogue focused jokes that they have is you know kind of a run on is the guy who reads the the script directions oh, as love and it. like speaks it aloud. So like, uh, hold on, I gotta find it. I wrote it down. The militants um, turn startled. The militants turn startled. Sarcastically, I'm in charge. That that's one of my favorite lines, like in cinema history, right there, mm-hmm. because. Like if we if we put this into the context that it's a, that it's a, it's a black exploitation film, that means that the guy who read it had the wherewithal to understand that he was supposed to say it sarcastically, and chose to say the word sarcastic, and that is just a hilarious concept. Sarcastically, I'm in charge. Sarcastically, I'm in. That's probably one of the more used quotes. Whenever I have to say something sarcastically, I'll like every now and again I'll throw that in, and like. I know two people who have seen this movie, so I know no one will get the joke, and I just quietly chuckle to myself while everyone looks at me why I'm, you know, a dumb person. That's like, um, this is going to be such a specific reference, so um, no one's going to get it. Uh, did you ever watch, Corwin, um, the Dom Mazzetti videos when you were in high school? Um, I didn't go out of my way, but enough of my friends... Uh, excuse me, loved Don Mazzetti and would show me. So for people outside of the 908 area code, <laughs> uh, Don Mazzetti was this dude who went to my high school um, who ended up becoming like big on YouTube. Now he runs a different channel. It's called like Bro Science Life or Bro Life Science, something stupid. He does a douchebaggy character called Tom, Don Mazzetti. Uh, actually, actually a really smart guy. Mark Toller Bunny, super nice dude. Went to NYU. Uh, he has 2.4 million followers. Yeah, he's, yeah. That's no, a he's much super, bigger channel than I thought. Uh, and he started off um, on Way Small. And he used to say, uh, there was this one throwaway joke in one of his videos where instead of saying process of elimination, he said process of discrimination. <laughs> and I... Man, when I tell you I said that shit until I forgot the original phrase, <laughs> I said that shit until I until I was standing in front of a class of eight-year-olds teaching class, and I was about to say process of discrimination and stood there frozen because I knew <laughs> discrimination wasn't the right word, but couldn't remember what the right one was. Oh, I love it. And I it was a joke it. nobody got. Like, people no, laughed at it because it's funny. Like, nobody was like, yo, Don Mazzetti. It was just... Oh, it's just, it was just for me. You know, it was just for me. Um, um, do you have an, uh, you know, all out favorite joke from this? Because we could talk about all these little jokes. Oh, um, for hours. longer than the movie actually is. Oh, God damn. There's so many. There's so fucking many. But I think the one that still gets me the hardest every single time I see it because of Michael Jai White's delivery is when he bursts into the laboratory to take down fiendish Dr. Wu and his Kung Fu treachery. And fiendish Dr. Wu turns startled to see the, the knife boomerang <laughs> fly into the window, cut his arm off. And then Michael Jai White jumps down in front of his face and shouts, ha, I threw that shit before I walked in the room. Like he was <laughs> so fucking proud of himself. Oh, oh my god. god. Oh, it kills me every single time. 
Oh, man. I must have watched that like four times in a row. I was laughing so hard. Um, but that, w- that was my favorite, too. So I got to find. Um, one of them is when he's walking with his lady friend and they happen upon two girls jumping oh, rope. Yeah. And she introduces the both of them to the little girls. And she's like, oh, this is my friend, Black Dynamite. And the one girl goes, my mama says my daddy's name is Black Dynamite. And the other little girl goes, my mama says that too. And he just gets all squeamish, freaked out, like he saw a ghost. And he's like, hush up, little girls. A lot of cats have that name. And then just like wanders off. <laughs> one of my other favorite moments where he just like zones, like looks off into the distance is um, when the one girl interrupts him at the whorehouse. You oh, thought yeah. shut the fuck up. I didn't even gotta look. I know that was you. <laughs> I I wrote down the full quote. Euphoria, shut the fuck up. I know that's you. I don't even have to look. I'll send your ass back to Crenshaw Pete with his hot ass coat hangers, bitch. Would you like that? And then just stares off into the abyss. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. And uh, oh, man. also, honestly, honestly, the entirety of Kung Fu Island also gets to me. Like the what? Uh, the entirety of Kung Fu Island. Just, just the whole, just the concept of it, the massive deviation in plot it takes to go there, which I do not mind. Um, Also, one of my favorite, my other, one of my other favorite jokes, right before the scene where he, where he gets to finish Doctor Wu, when he Mm -hmm. pokes his fingers into the eyes of that one guy and just shouts at him, "Do you see where I'm coming from, motherfucker?" (laughs) Oh my god, it's. It's so violent. Oh, and he does not see where he's coming from. <laughs> uh, just because I'm reading through all these jokes, one of my uh, one of my favorites in this is when uh, it's like really on in the movie uh, when he's I think he's trying to chase down Chicago or find Chicago Wind, and they're like having this fight, this kung fu fight, and one dude actually gets hit for real. And just immediately drops characters, just like the fuck, motherfucker, motherfucker, and then immediately cuts to them fighting again, but with a very different actor replacing him. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! It's... I don't want to ruin this for anyone that didn't see it, even though we gave you a full week to watch it. But like, oh, this and... is truly one of the funniest movies ever made. Seriously, it's it's a joke. Per minute, I mean, oh, not even minute, honestly. What it's, oh, and like Corwin said, and as we've been doing, this movie's quotable at the ass. And as much fun as it might be to hear us talking about it, go fucking watch it. I mean, oh, yeah. their delivery is clearly better. Like, oh my god, but, 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 Dr. Wu, oh god, it's it's brilliant. It's so fucking good. Um, so there, there was actually two things that I noticed for the first time on this watch of it. Um, one of which was the uh, chili and uh, what was it? Chili and donuts. Uh, chili and donuts. Just I that was such a throwaway, and like the punchline is so far through the movie that I completely forgot. But this guy owns a chili and donut shop. That just is clearly failing, and he's very broken down by it. And then, like, an hour and a half later, some waitress is, like, they're in a diner, and the waitress is like, we've got waffles, and we've got chicken from yesterday. That's what you're getting. And he's just in the background amongst, like, a crowd of other characters and just goes, that's it, and runs out. 
and starts a chicken and waffle shop. I never, like, I must have seen this movie at least at least half a dozen times before this, and never noticed that. Great joke. What's the and other one? I, I also I don't know if this is just me forgetting or like I'm so busy laughing at other things that I didn't notice, but the ghost of Abraham Lincoln c- coming in with an assist. Yes. Just out of nowhere. I fully just don't remember that in any capacity. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well, he was there to assist in Black Dynamite emancipating and proclamating all over that ass. <laughs> <laughs> Which is another amazing joke from this movie. Oh, just the amount of one-liners in this. It's so fucking funny. Can I share with you one of my all-time favorite jokes? Because they wrote it into the movie, and there's just no possible way you would get the joke unless you researched it afterwards like I did. Okay. So when Michael Jai White is describing to the FBI, CIA agent, um, uh, like like his experience in Vietnam, you know, and he talks about the little Chinese kid that he... he he's Vietnamese, but oh, he keeps going I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. And Black Dynamite says, you know, that little boy looked at me with his Chinese eyes and said some shit I couldn't understand, like, or some shit, and I didn't understand it. But I understood it to be a question, and that question was, why Black Dynamite? Why? All right, do you know what he was actually said? Um, yeah, it was something like, um, you're so full of shit, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, it was actually Vietnamese for, you are full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that is an amazing joke! <laughs> Because unless you happen to speak Vietnamese or know any of it, there's no way you're going to get that joke unless you just like look it up later. I could also easily see people missing the joke of him calling the Vietnamese child in the country of Vietnam a little (laughs) Chinese boy like six times. Oh my God, so many times. (laughs) Or the. (laughs) Oh, oh, it it was just. I fucking love this movie. Oh man! After dynamite kills a a, a guy in the donut shoot, uh, how did you know it was him? Because donuts don't wear don't alligator, wear alligator shoes. shoes. Uh love it. I'm um, declaring a war on anyone who sells drugs to the community. But black dynamite, I sell, I sell drugs, drugs to, the to the community. Chocolate Gideon. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god! I started oh. rewatching Reno Nine One One the other day, and I can't view. I forgot the character or the actor's name, but I can't fucking picture him. He's amazing. Like a previous like profession being that pimp, chocolate kitty. I'm spending more bail money than I'm making tail money. God, he put so much mustard on every line. It was beautiful. Um. Oh. Also, another thing I noticed for the first time, just found it in my notes, when they're having the montage and it's all the girls from like the whorehouse, the brothel, uh, dressed up as like waitresses catering an event, they just like ambush these guys and then just run around waving their arms, like yep. pretending it's kung fu. Yep, yep. <laughs> they just have all their arms. Their arms are sticking straight out up to the elbow and then are forming like right angles and they're just like karate chopping the sky like they're fucking food processors it's the stupidest thing in the world it's amazing they're just running around like chickens with their heads cut off again and a great homage to the black exploitation movies where some of the choreography was trash but oh so good 
Do you know what the original title for this movie was? I do not. Super bad. <laughs> but it came like out. <laughs> well, no, the, the problem was super bad. The, yeah. the Seth Rogen movie came out like a handful of months before this did, and they had to change the name. Damn. Ain't that some shit? It's like Black Dynamite being called Black Dynamite, but that's really funny. Yeah, right? I honestly like this more than I like Super Bad. I don't think I fault you at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if I have anything else creative to say. Oh, have you are you a fan at all of the Black Dynamite TV show? No. Have you ever watched the Black Dynamite TV show? Uh, I've seen like half an episode. Wasn't Let me idea. tell you. I love that show. That's the thing. So I, I, I really don't have any actual notes on Black Dynamite. Uh, I don't either. What's there to say? The plot is ridiculous. The characters are outlandish. Um, the filmmaking quality is terrible, but that's the choice. And it is what, one of the things that feeds into the comedy of it all. Um, like uh, everything I could possibly think, the 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 li- if you watch it, listen to the lyrics of the music that just describe whatever Black Dynamite is doing at the moment. Um, another great subtle joke. Um, yeah, I believe it's it's listen, such a well done movie. If you're gonna watch this movie, watch this movie ten times. Oh, if you if you're gonna watch this movie, you're going to watch this movie ten times. Touche, touche. <laughs> uh, oh fuck! Uh, one of my all-time faves. That's all I gotta say. Give me, give me a, a star rating, man. Um, again, I said this earlier. I have to knock it for just having a nonsensical story, just because I feel like I I have to knock it for something. I have to have something I dislike. Um, so I give this a four and a half out of five. I'm giving it I, a five out of five. I <laughs> uh, love it. Love it. I, I have to. I it's your first five out of five. I think. I think it is. I think. It, and granted, you know, like I'm going to issue it the caveat, like you know, if we're comparing this to Moonlight or something like that. Like that's a different type of movie. But if we're looking at comedy, I mean, every single moment of this film, every frame of this movie, is crafted in the best way possible to execute a joke. And God. Damn it, if it doesn't do it, just absolute perfection. I mean, I seriously don't know what more I could ask out of this movie. Like, there's a there's a there's a nunchuck fight with Richard Nixon. I mean, what more <laughs> could you possibly want out of this movie? It's so good. It's so good. Oh, oh man, I fucking love it. I fucking love it so much. I, I will wish, never I wish they would make a sequel, but it made so little money. There's no way that will ever happen. I wish you, they would make a sequel, but they killed so many of the characters. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. <laughs> like very quickly. Oh, oh well. Um, all right. Any closing thoughts? Um, just on that last note, I fully the first time I watched it, uh, I fully expected all those characters to just somehow walk back into frame at the end. <laughs> Just like, ah, oh, job well done, guys. Well, we did scary. it. Yep. All right. What are, what's your movie for next week, Josh? Ah, that's right. That's right. That's right. I was talking about this uh, with Cal. She's never seen Pulp Fiction, so I'm oh. going to choose Pulp Fiction as my movie. Wow. I fucking love it. 
uh, another one of my all-time faves. At some point, we should not pick like movies we want to give four and a half, four or five. Like movie, like our ratings are just going to be so skewed because we just keep keep picking movies we either know and love or are by people we know we're gonna you know enjoy the movie. Yeah, this is the first film I haven't watched, or I haven't. Wait, what am I trying to say? This is the first movie that You've is going it. to be a rewatch for me in my I think my last three picks. Okay. Um. So I, I, I'm, I'm been trying to not pick movies I knew I was gonna like, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna. It's tough because it's like there's nothing coming out right now, and uh, I'm just far too lazy to try to pick a movie i haven't seen yet but uh no speaking contraire. of which tell no. me about your pick uh my movie isn't even out yet by the time you're listening to this unless it's a couple days after then it is out uh defy bloods the latest spike lee joint coming out on netflix on june 12th um very excited to see this uh vietnam era movie very interesting style obviously it being spike lee um so we aren't going to be able to watch that immediately when it does come out i will watch it uh we will watch it uh and i'm excited for it yeah oh my god corin and i were talking about this before we started recording we are very excited for this film um yeah i i cannot wait to watch this so excellent choice my friend um anything else nope all right well if you want to follow the show on twitter you can do so at juicing pod things are spicy over there be warned and if you want to send us an email you can do so at juicing the numbers at gmail.com and until monday y'all have a bye